Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. In addition to their successful podcast, um, Sarah and Beth have also recently released a book that was published by Thomas Nelson, which is a very high-profile um, Christian book publisher, and the title is, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations. That book is available here at the library. I have one of them checked out. You can't have that one, but there's another one. You can, <laughs> you're welcome to look into that one. And Library Journal recently gave it a star review and called it a must-read and relevant text for anyone talking about today's politics. So, very well received. Welcome, Sarah and Beth. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pants of Politics. We are sharing our live podcast from my hometown of Paducah, Kentucky, that we recorded this weekend. I'm so excited to share it with everyone. This is going to be a little different than our normal live podcast episodes because we recorded it so close in time to Tuesday's episode. We were able to do it just like a regular Tuesday episode. So in just a second, you'll hear the sound from that and we'll tell you exactly what we're discussing. Before we do, we want to tell you about another place you can hear our voices today if you'd like. We were so happy to join the delightful Meg Teets on Sorta Awesome. And so you can hear our discussion over in her feed. And it was a really good conversation with some questions from people who love both of our podcasts about digging into really hard conversations, especially with people that we love. And so thank you, Meg, for having us on. We also wanted to let you know that this Friday on Pantsuit Politics, we're going to have a conversation with Deborah Lipstadt. Deborah is a professor at Emory University of Holocaust Studies. We've been struggling since the Women's March with how to have a deep, historically rooted conversation about anti-Semitism in America. 
And we've kind of avoided the conversation about Representative Omar because we wanted to put it in that larger context. And we are delighted that Deborah is going to spend some time with us this week. If you have questions that you'd like us to consider in that discussion, send us an email or a note on social media. But we will be having a very holistic conversation about anti-Semitism in modern America on Friday with an expert. Without further ado, here's Pantsu Politics, broadcasting from Paducah, Kentucky. So on this episode, we are going to talk about a few news items like we usually do. We'll be complimenting the other side. We're going to have a main segment where we're going to talk about Elizabeth Warren's new proposals to break up Google, Facebook, and Amazon. We're going to record it like a normal episode, but we do want it to sound like a live event. So please do. Sarah loves it when you laugh at her jokes. It's very important to her. So please do that. And we will do Q&A at the end. So if there's anything that we talk about in the show that you want to talk more about or just in general, people ask us everything from like lipsticks to 2020, like the full gamut is out there. We can talk about Morning Joe at the end. So whatever you want to do. So first we had a request and it's pretty intense. We're going to dive right in with that one. Donald Trump signed a Bible, did you hear? He did. He signed the cover of some Bibles. Not just one Bible, like multiple Bibles and the covers. We sign books all the time now, and I can't imagine, like we wrote that book, and we would never sign, sign the, the cover. cover. I think that part is not getting enough attention because of the... <laughs> I have so many questions. Did they bring the Bibles for him to sign? I, I don't know. Did you see the picture of the Bible military edition? I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, there's either. an edition of every. There's an everything. Edi- it's like chicken soup for the soul. There's an edition for everything of the Bible for sure. There's like Chihuahua lovers a Bible edition, hundred <laughs> percent. So like, did they bring him to sign? Did he know he was signing a Bible? Like maybe he was signing. I'm look. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt right now. Maybe he was signing quickly and he didn't realize what it was. Maybe he thought it was art of the deal, but thicker. <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing, nothing? I think he probably was aware that it was a, a holy text so weird. that he was signing. And that's like sacrilegious. You're not supposed to sign the Bible. I don't know who, and like I was trying to think, is there an appropriate human being to sign the Bible? And I couldn't come up with one. I mean, I would, it's only because I can give this because he's dead, like maybe Billy Graham. Maybe. Like maybe Billy Graham could write in the cover of the Bible something like, Blessings to you as you read this text, but not like, not like. Let me grab my sharpie and do my three-inch scribble like the president does. I don't know. I just I feel like however you feel about the president, isn't this a moment where we all need to step back and say we maybe have taken this thing a little too far? That's part of my dread about the 2020 election. I worry as we get into another election season that we get so. You know, we describe in our book that we get really animated by personalities instead of policies. And I think this is a really good example. Wherever you stand on the president, it seems to me not a good thing that people are having him sign Bibles. Like, I just feel like that's not a partisan issue. That is a we are too infatuated with celebrity issue. And we're already doing it. Like when you see, and this is not comparable to signing the Bible, so please don't send me emails about comparing the two. But like when you see Kamala Harris being photographed kind of breathlessly by reporters because she tried on this colorful jacket, I think like if I'm Kamala Harris, that's not what I want you Mm -hmm. doing. That's not what I want to be respected for. And I just, I think we're taking these personalities so far. That's part of why I'm excited talk about Elizabeth Warren because she's not my cup of tea at all, but she is about policy. She says really substantive things that we can kind of dive into and whatever we think about her, there's a really good conversation to be had. And I just, I want more of that in our 2020 cycle and less Bible signing. I'm so struggling though, because with the 2020 cycle, we've talked about this, is the only thing important to me as a person on the left that this, that this candidate beat Donald Trump? Or do I care about bigger things? Do I care about policy? Do I care about where the conversation takes our country? Like, yes, I would love a political environment in which celebrity is not so essential. But I can't, I got to come to the fight I have, not the fight I want. You know what I mean? And that's where I struggle is like, and I'm sure these candidates are going through the same thing. If you're Beto and you can play off your celebrity, why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't you if you have to go up against somebody who's definitely going to use every tool in their tool belt, including celebrity to win? 
Well, you know where I am on this, and it's a lonely place. But I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for a president who is pretty well nonpartisan. And I think that there's an opportunity for someone like a Howard Schultz to do that, but he's not, he, that he's not running that race right now, right? What Howard Schultz is doing is kind of running the, I have the things that you said you liked about Trump without the tweets. But all of his public statements are really taking a big swipe at the Democratic Party, which to me seems like the opposite of I'm going to come in and be a nonpartisan, really good executive. So I feel like he's not the right messenger for that. But I'm ready for someone. This, this national emergency declaration, to me, really seals the deal that the executive of our country should not be a person so dedicated to any agenda that they're willing to manipulate whatever the system is to get there. And, you know, the country's not with me on that. I get that. I see a lot of heads nodding in this room, and I appreciate you, Paducah. I see you. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I would like us to get past personality and get more to skill set, and for that skill set to be one that is more about making good decisions under horrific circumstances, hiring really smart people, and understanding the world enough to do sound foreign policy in a really complex time. Well, I don't think it's necessarily that the country, including Paducah, is not with you. I just think it's so funny because when we talk about independent party candidates or how we want this nonpartisan executive, we want to be outside Republican and Democrat, it's like... And for some of the reasons you're talking about, we don't want a celebrity. It's like we're waiting for a celebrity to get us there. We're waiting right, for right, just the right, right independent candidate to come along and rescue us from the Democratic-Republican system. Well, that ain't going to happen. Like, we are the committee. So if we want an independent candidate, then we need to change the system, not wait for the right person to come along and deliver that to us. We, that's what we want in politics is we want we, – it's not just a celebrity. And let me just call back all the way to the beginning of signing the Bible. We want a savior. We want a savior. We want a messiah to come in and fix it all at this one person. And it's just, we got to let that go. And the really hard thing, I think, because I often wish for a primary challenge to the president as well, and I think somebody like Evan McMullen was running the way that I'm talking about in the last election. But then since then, his path to a greater platform has been to spend every waking moment of his life attacking the president. And I don't think that's what America wants either, right? I think that's very off-putting to people. And so that lane closed for him. I mean, certain him. people, certain people love it. Love well, it. it works. That's why he does it, right? Because it works. But it's not the path to being that more centrist, I can just do good governance thing. So it's a... It's a tough time, these Bible signing days. Bible <laughs> signing days. Also, as our resident Mueller expert, Paul Manafort received his first sentencing, and it did not go over well on Twitter. It did not go over well on Twitter because Paul Manafort received four years, which was a significant downward deviation from the sentencing guidelines for the crimes that he was convicted of. This is in Virginia. And so he will also be sentenced in Washington, D.C. So we don't know what the full prison package is going to look like for Paul <laughs> Manafort. I really struggle with stories like this because I sit on the board of an organization that advocates for criminal justice reform, that advocates for putting fewer people in prison for long periods of time. And so there is a part of me that is, of course, really struck by the disparity in the sentence that Paul Manafort receives versus a kid I knew who spent some time in jail for like a little bit of marijuana, right? There, that really, really bothers me. At the same time, I don't want to be this voice in the world saying we should put people in jail longer, like anybody, right? I don't think we should put anybody in prison longer. So I think it's hard. I also think it was kind of obvious where this was going if you were following this case closely. This judge in Virginia from the beginning wrote opinions, made statements on the record in court that let you know that he felt Paul Manafort was a pawn in a bigger game to put pressure on the president and he didn't like that. And so it wasn't shocking to me that he imposed a pretty light sentence. I also think he probably saw in Paul Manafort someone who's old, someone who has lost lots and lots of money, like had a very significant lifestyle change. And for better or worse, we put human beings on the bench. And I think this human being who was sitting on the bench had more in common with Paul Manafort than a lot of the people who came into his courtroom. And it's sad that our system works that way. And, and I think lots of people are doing good work around that. But this wasn't shocking to me. The judge's 
comments in particular that Paul Manafort has lived a blameless life. I mean, no. That's not true, objectively. That's not true. He's before yeah. you. People who have lived not a blameless life wouldn't be before you. And if zero people. Something, that's your job. Zero people have lived a blameless life. Right? That's why no one should I mean, sign a Bible. Like, okay. Exactly. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. Well, and I just think that I have a heart for criminal justice reform as well. This is exactly the opposite of what we're advocating, though, for. Exact, it's exactly like you said. This is a privileged person getting a lesser sentence because of their privileged existence as someone the judge can identify with, particularly as a white male. So when we say criminal justice reform, yeah, in some ways I think I'm saying we don't need to just throw people in jail for longer sentences, but it's more complex than that. It's more nuanced. It's, yeah, there are some people that should go to jail forever for the rest of their lives. Is Paul Manafort one of them? Maybe not, but he should sure as heck go to jail for longer than four years. And I think he will, because he still has to go before that lady judge who doesn't like him at all. And she is definitely yeah. going to make up for that, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it just like I was with the lady judge with OJ. When he got caught for breaking and entering, she was like, you know what? It's time to make up for some stuff, and I'm here for it. <laughs> to me, the longer-term issue coming out of the Paul Manafort charges, so if you haven't been following this carefully, and I can't imagine why not, I'm sure you don't have anything else to do besides think about Paul Manafort, but... A lot of the conservative world argument about Paul Manafort, which is a true one, is that lots of people do what Paul Manafort was doing. Lots of people are taking money from foreign governments and influencing members of Congress and members of administrations in our country without registering as foreign agents and nobody prosecutes them. That, and, and I believe that. I think that happens all the time. I think it is a very widespread problem with our system. I think lots of people are doing lobbying and not declaring that they're lobbyists. The answer, though, isn't, so we never prosecute those people. And I also think the answer isn't, let's go throw half of Washington, D.C. in prison. I think the answer is Congress needs to get to work clarifying some of these laws, if they're too arcane to really enforce. And we need to figure out what the appropriate penalties are. I would rather someone like Paul Manafort have to go work like a regular job and pay lots of money back to the government than sit in prison on taxpayers' expense. Like, to me, there's, there's a more just outcome here. But he's not going to go work a regular job. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I, I guess you could sentence him to work release in a very specific work position, but, like, he's going to use the same network he used yeah. to commit right. fraud and exploit the system in, outside of jail, which is why he belongs inside of jail for longer than four years. I think we help that, though, if we ad address the larger problem, right? Because at some point, that network becomes too risky. If we do start to actually bring these cases, that network dissipates a little bit. And it's going to be a long game, right? I think it will take a long time to address that problem. But I think the answer is a more fulsome focus on people who are lobbying Congress without registering instead of just, well... We should just let Paul Manafort go. So the charges in D.C. are similar to the Virginia charges. He has been charged with failing to register. He has been charged with numerous tax evasion issues. He was getting all this money from the Ukrainian government and keeping it offshore and living a very expensive lifestyle blameless, in the United blameless States. Blameless and expensive. The criminal indictments against Manafort are filled with things about, like, the kinds of suits that he was buying. Rugs. And There's lots of rugs. Lots of rugs. And so it, I mean, it is a very kind of boring white-collar case. And in that sense, a lot of people think that he has been a pawn because why would we all be paying attention to this very boring white-collar case were he not so close to the president? The most scandalous details about Paul Manafort to understand the connection to the president you really have to care about the history of the country of Ukraine. Which you do. I do. <laughs> Again, it's a lonely place that I live in. <laughs> and look, and also I think it's important to say there is not a direct path to Russian collusion that runs through Paul Manafort. It is much more about money. It is Paul Manafort was making lots and lots of money working for pro-Russia forces within Ukraine. So does this get to Donald Trump or not? I have no idea. I still think what he did was wrong. Yeah. And I still think that such a downward departure from sentencing guidelines for Paul Manafort is really problematic when you compare it to sentences against criminal defendants in front of the same judge on low-level drug charges. And those are the things that I think need attention. So now we're going to move on and compliment the other side. Mm -hmm. 
Mine is super easy this week. I want to compliment Senator Martha McSally, who testified in a Senate committee hearing that was being held about sexual assault in the military and revealed for the first time that she had been raped while she was in the military by a higher-ranking official who she never reported. And she spoke in detail about why she didn't report that, why the system is not changing quick enough, why this is a huge problem. Um, and I just thought, I so much respect for her bravery. I'm tearing up. Hold on. I do that a lot, if you're a regular listener. And it just, it was touching, and I thought it was very brave, and I thought what she spoke about was heartbreaking, not just because of her own personal testimony, but because it is such an epidemic within the military. And I thought what she did was wonderful. Especially that she did it in a congressional hearing, not like in a 60 Minutes interview mm -hmm. or something. There, it was really powerful to me that she chose that forum to share that information. And looking at the people like testifying in the face, and yeah, I thought so too. My compliment is for Sherrod Brown this week, which is so funny because, so we're in the Cincinnati media market in our house, and our, every few years we get all these commercials with this dark voice, Sherrod Brown let us down. Um, <laughs> but then I also follow his wife, Connie Schultz, on Twitter, who's a she's very, a she's so a, good. well, she's a very accomplished journalist, and you could tell, I think, that she really wanted him to run yeah. for president. And I think lots of people who were close to him, really wanted him to run. I think there was a good case for him running for president. And I just really appreciate the selflessness of saying, not like, listen, I mean, what a world, right, where it's so selfless to run for Senate. <laughs> but, but, but recognizing that the president is not the only piece of our government that matters. And even though he had an opportunity, this is probably about the right time in his life to do this, that he chose not to, I think sets a really good example for people like <clears throat> Beto O'Rourke. Like, I and think Joe it's Biden. just better to, to stay focused on the Senate right now. You've got a big field of Democratic candidates, and we don't need anybody else jumping in, I don't think. Joe Biden, we do not need you. Sorry, I just need to get off that my chest one more time. I'm going to say a lot more. I have a bad feeling about this. Well, Senator Sanders, too. I mean, we were talking at dinner about how Bernie Sanders' 2016 run arguably was about a movement to bring attention to income inequality, right? And to me, the fact that he's running again for 2020, when income inequality has made its mark and you've got a whole field of people talking about it means that it wasn't about that issue it's about him he wants to be the president yep. fine but don't pretend that you don't you know yeah well and he you know when he started running in 2016 he didn't think he was going to get the traction he did they were not prepared for what happened nobody was on many many levels in 2016 and i think that he was trying to bring light to certain issues and then when it it's like anything right it's an ego trip and then it swelled and became Bernie with the bird and the thing and all the and so now he's like oh they need me they really need me it's not just about the light I can bring to this message it's that they need me which is a really hard case to make I think with the current field but we're supposed to be complimenting people good job Sherrod Brown they are good job you Sherrod did Brown. not let anybody down with oh, this shoot. one summer is here Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out 
And I stopped and I closed my eyes and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues. And I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to. Or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, for anybody who has not seen it yet, has published a piece on Medium advocating for breaking up several of the technology companies, primarily Amazon, Facebook, and Google. She has a very specific policy-driven proposal that, based on a profit threshold, would break the companies away from their platform. She would call them a platform utility So if you are Facebook and you have an advertising platform utility, then you can no longer participate in the advertising platform, if that makes sense. She's going to break them apart and say, you can't run them and be be a part of the customer base, basically. Um, Met with, I think, an interesting array of reactions, but one of them is going to be ours because that's what we're going to talk about next. Well, I appreciate the specificity of Mm -hmm. this piece. I want to start there because this is a hard topic and that she made it one of her first announced policy paper kind of positions. And it's I so think smart, it's her wheelhouse. This it, is what the stuff she's good at. It trusts voters, which is what we're asking for all the time, right? Trust us more to digest these hard issues, so I appreciate how specific it is. I think the examples that she provides in this article are really good. She talks about the problems with the mergers that have taken place lately, and she goes into like Amazon with Whole Foods, which I think was a very problematic merger. And so I think the way it's laid out, it's it's really, really well done. Yeah. I think that this would have been really brave in 2016 if Bernie had introduced this. Now, I think it's important, but I think it's less brave in the sense that you can feel the ground shifting when we talk about the technology companies. Post-2016, we all realize how important they are in our, in our elections. We're all mad about privacy. I mean, the fact that Zuckerberg just came out and said, oh, we're going to be less public-facing. I'm going to really encrypt your data, and it's going to be more private. I mean, he's not doing that because he's charitable. He's doing that because he understands where the trends are going with regards to people's concerns about privacy, people's concerns about the size of these companies, the draw on our attention. I mean, I feel like I read more and more and more every day with people. Like there's, I feel like there's five books there's that. I want to break up, how to break up with your cell phone book. There's the digital declutter book. There's like a new book every day that's like how to break free of all these technology in our life. And so I think it's not just concerns about the economic impact of these companies, but the fact that 
you know, if you'd done this five years ago, the voters would have been like, what are you talking about? And now everybody's like, yeah, please, can you do something? Because I feel like this is taking over my entire life. And so I, I think it's really, really important. I don't think she'll be the last one with a proposal like this. I agree. And I'm not sure it was ripe in 2016 for all the reasons that you just said. I feel like we have been getting our arms around. I still struggle to articulate what is Facebook. And so part of what this article does, she just comes out swinging and saying, Facebook is a utility. And I think that's a really hard question. I don't know the answer to whether Facebook should be a utility, but I think that's a good place to start the conversation. What What is this thing that you've made that we're spending so much time on that's collecting so much information from us and that connects us to all these other things? To me, that's the best argument for Facebook as a utility. Facebook is a portal. Almost every website you go on just says, do you want to log in with Facebook, Facebook, right? And I think that because it opens all those doors, saying, okay, Facebook, there are some arenas you can't play in, is a good idea. One of the key arguments she makes in the article is that Facebook, and particularly Google, were able to innovate and grow and thrive because there was a monopoly case against Microsoft in the 90s that opened up and released Microsoft's death grip on Internet. Everybody remember Internet Explorer? What? <laughs> um, and just all the software. And I was reading a couple articles that pushed that history further back and said Microsoft only came about because they did a monopoly case, an antitrust case against IBM. The government goes after them, regulates them, just creates enough breathing room for innovation to come in and kind of blow up the model, and then we're starting over and over again. I think the reason our antitrust enforcement has really just all but halted is because it's so driven by the only way you know it's an antitrust problem is if the price is going up for the consumer. It's all in this price model. Well, that doesn't work with a free product like Facebook, although it's not free. We all know it's not free. Not free. So it doesn't cost you anything in dollars doesn't mean it's not free. And so I think that this, she's really pushing against that. She's saying that doesn't matter. Like it's, we're talking about something really different here and it's very, very important that we think about the role our government plays in protecting us from these monopolies and the fact that we are not doing almost any antitrust enforcement. I was reading one article and it said that from 1970 to 1999, there were 15 antitrust cases brought a year. From 2000 to 2014, only three were brought on average a year. So the, the government is not enforcing any sort of antitrust protection. And I think it is costing all of us. So Reagan-era Republican ideology was that antitrust was government picking winners and losers, and we don't want that. And I think that's true. I think the trouble, though, when you rein antitrust enforcement in to three a year is that now government's really picking losers, uh -huh. right? Because it's not a principled framework anymore. When you choose to bring one of these actions, you're making a really deliberate choice. For example, right now the Trump administration is making a really deliberate choice about CNN. Mm. Wonder why, <laughs> you know? And that's government picking a loser. And so I think it's kind of a pendulum. We were probably too far. We've, we have had periods of our history where we, we've enforced these laws too harshly. Now we've gone too far to the other side where we're not enforcing them enough and we need to find some principled middle ground. And I think this is another area where it would be healthy for everybody to recognize that we are not going to bat a thousand on this. We are not going to get antitrust enforcement exactly right every time. It is one of those things that requires a lot of judgment, even when the laws are written brilliantly and interpreted perfectly, it's subjective. It's subjective to decide if something is collecting too much power, but that doesn't mean that we should get out of the game altogether. And that's one of the things I have a hard time with about today's Republican Party. So we sort of act like it's all or nothing in terms of, of government regulation. And I think there's a healthy place for that regulation to come into play. One of the most interesting things I was reading as I was researching her proposal is that Microsoft had an antitrust enforcement against it. That was then repealed later on in the process as it was appealed. So everybody was like, see, it was a failure. 
of the process. They never had a judgment brought against them. It really didn't do anything. It didn't actually, competition worked, right? Google came in and they were just better, and that's what happened with Microsoft. And then you read some of the reports from the employees inside Microsoft, and they are making the opposite argument. They're like, no, it did make an impact. Just because there wasn't a legal judgment that stayed enforced, it changed the company. It was like, they were talking about some employees as they would develop software, would literally like pull up an extra chair for the lawyers and the regulators to say, is this okay? Am I harming a competition this way? So it did have an effect on the culture of the company, even if just knowing the government was present and paying attention at all, which it doesn't feel like they're doing right now. And so just having that presence, knowing somebody's watching, are we being anti-competitive? had an impact. And they, I mean, their argument is it was what made Google happen. It is what made Facebook happen. And I think right now, I mean, you have 50% of e-commerce, 50% of all e-commerce goes through Amazon, half of it. 70% of all internet advertising goes through Google or Facebook, 70%. Just because, and I, I don't even know how you make an argument that that doesn't drive the prices up for the consumer who's buying the advertising, even if it doesn't, the consumer who's using Facebook. But this focus on price as opposed to the cost to our attention, the cost to our politics, the cost to our just information environment, like not to mention the cost to small news competitors, content creators who can't get anything done without giving their content away for free to Facebook. That's how it happens. If you don't give your content away to free to Facebook, then you can't make a mark. And so I think that that's all things that should come into the equation far beyond just the price for the consumers because this is costing us. And I mean, I'm just... I'm ready for it, Elizabeth. Give me the sledgehammer. It's hard to get your arms around something that doesn't cost lots of people actual dollars, but it is really hard. You think of the internet as this great democratizing force, and it is really hard to start a new podcast now and get anybody to listen to it, right? And if you want to start a new podcast now and get anybody to listen to it, you better be prepared to make zero dollars and spend lots of money because the, the cost to get in is getting higher. This is just one tiny example, right? But we've been talking with other people who make content about at some point you have to find a way to make money or you can't keep doing it. And the internet has made everyone believe they're entitled to everything for free. They want to be able to download all your stuff for free. People don't want to pay for anything. And that is the real rub of antitrust enforcement because big tech is one piece of this, but so many industries are ripe for some oversight in terms of how big companies are getting. You think about the insurance sector, the pharmaceutical sector, um, the media sector, you know, we, we need this oversight everywhere. And the result is that we are all going to have to pay more for some of our products. We spend less money on food in our country than anywhere else in the world. Well, we've paid for that, just not with our dollars. Mm -hmm. Right, and we're gonna have to shell out some more dollars if we wanna change that problem. And that is a very hard message from politicians. And I think we need to be listening for the truth tellers as people come out with more proposals like this. Who's willing to say, listen, I know you love Facebook, Google, Amazon. You probably also are starting to see how problematic they are. At some point that's gonna mean you can't go into a local shop and see a thing that you like and then see that it's $5 cheaper on Amazon mm -hmm. and press the button. You need to buy the thing in the shop, right? And we, we've got to work through that as a country. That's a cultural issue. I think laws can help us with this, but we have so many cultural forces that need to be addressed too. Because I think that the myth of democratization, even with us, even in 2015, yeah, we created our own podcast as an independent podcast producer. The reason our podcast took off was because we have all these gatekeepers. And at the time, the major gatekeeper was iTunes. And if they featured you on New and Noteworthy, which they did us, that was a make or break. They're a gatekeeper. That's what Google is. I mean, it's an algorithm in theory until they shut you off because they can obviously just flip the switch. That's what they got in trouble with in Europe. This Europe was able to prove. The European Union said, no, you're flipping the switch on people. Their technology competes with your technology and you turn them out of your search results. And because your search results are the only search results that matter, you're a gatekeeper. And Amazon does the same thing. They do all these anti-competitive gatekeeping things. Like, how many people in this room know that Amazon hosts, like, I don't know, half the Internet's websites? It's Amazon Web Service. And they host so many. And so they see that data. And when a web service or a website or a service that somebody has created and coded themselves takes off, guess what Amazon does? Oh, that's look at that one. It's doing really good that we're hosting. 
Can we use that? Can we take that? Can we cannibalize that? Can we buy it? Or can we just steal it? Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, like they all do it. And that's gatekeeping, that's anti-competitive, and it's costing all of us. And it's really hard to know where the line is between the American dream and you've gone too far. I mean, these are great success stories. I'm not mad at Amazon. I wasn't even mad at Amazon when they when they pulled their headquarters out of Brooklyn. Like, I'm not mad at Amazon at all. They've done what lots of us wish we could do, right? It's a good idea. I use their services. It works really well. It's really convenient. So I'm not angry about it. And I think that that line between where is this a good idea that's really taken off because it meets consumer demand and where is it becoming kind of a threat is a thin one. And I got even more persuaded. We had a, a guest, Sean McFate, on, I think last week on the podcast, he wrote this book called The New Worlds of War. And Sean talked it's a, a lot. It's a very light read, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make you feel good about things. But, but it is so insightful and so interesting. And part of what he says very directly in the book is, look, Facebook, Google, Amazon have more money than the gross domestic products of Most many countries. countries combined with one another. So if Amazon wanted to hire a mercenary force and go solve genocide in Rwanda. Who's going to stop them? Who's going to stop them? They could do that. Now, maybe there are people who are comfortable with that. I don't think that I'm one of them. And so I don't know how to solve that problem of like, when are we redistributing in an unfair way from people who've worked really hard and earned lots of money and done good things in the world. But I think that big tech is a good place to have this, it's the hardest place to have this conversation, but I think it's a good place to have this conversation because big tech is so much more than we make a thing and we conspire to set a price on that thing. It is. We make a thing, but you don't really know what the thing is, and you don't totally understand how you're interacting with it, and you don't totally understand the reach of it. You know, The Daily, the New York Times podcast, had a really interesting episode recently about how engineers at big tech companies are starting to understand that the technology that they've made to like better surf the internet is being used in weapons of war. So even the people who are in these companies sometimes don't understand their reach. And I do think we need to have some good conversations as a country on how do we get our arms around that. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh. God, I love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15.
We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. A beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I think what really bothers me the most about conversations about Facebook and Amazon and big tech generally is we always, or increasingly, for a long time, and this this is we're finally breaking through with some of this Elizabeth Warren stuff. It's the it's the individual needs to overcome the behavior preyed upon by these tech companies. We all need to just tap out of Facebook or shop local or you know by the by the power of our free will as consumers or whatever step in and shut this down. I just think that is wholly unrealistic because, you know, as I often say, we just, we're just a big monkey brain. And there's like this little bitty person, people person that is mostly powerful to the big monkey brain that is going to respond to the very well-designed psychological triggers built into these products. And so to me, for so long, our government was that third party. The government was the third party in our economy and in our just lives that was saying, okay, I'm going to step in here because it's not fair to just demand the customer figure this out on their own and fight it, fight the power. You know, like we need, we need some other regulations in place because this is a big company or this is a big industry or this is a big problem like cigarettes. I mean, I mean we just kept trying for like, let's just, everybody just stop smoking. Well, (laughs) all right, but that's not going to work real great. So let's try something else. Like this is where the government steps in and says, well, yeah, the American dream is what? To make a billion dollars off cigarettes. And good for you that you planted tobacco and figured out how to exploit that by lying to everybody about whether how addictive they were. But maybe there is a role for the government here to step in instead of just waiting around and hoping that everybody stops smoking. Because to me, that's what's happening with big tech. They have, you know, I'm happy for Jeff Bezos that he only makes 80 grand a year salary and that he logged along with Amazon with no profit for so long. And yeah, that's the American dream and Zuckerberg and all the thing. I get it. But like, we should know by this point from what's come out from the 2016 election and what the whistleblowers within the tech industry itself, that there's a little something more sinister at work here, that they understand what they're exploiting. They understand the risks. They keep them secret half the time. Or they don't care because there's a big profit on the line. And so I just think that that's where to, to expect us all to form together as this collective and hold them responsible is unrealistic. We need a third party. We need regulators to do their job because those regulators can not only protect us, but make the system more fair. I mean, create space for more innovation. Create space for more real competition as opposed to these gatekeepers that are the size of the 16 smallest countries combined. I think it's sometimes those nefarious things that you said. I also think sometimes they just don't know. I think a lot of people have created platforms that they had no idea what what they were going to become. Yeah, but that's different from knowing what they're doing right now. Mark Zuckerberg didn't know what Facebook was going to come. He sure as heck knew what was happening in the 2016-25 lead up to the 20. He knew. They knew. They had people, him and Sheryl Sandberg, who I like, knocking at their doors going, hey, guys, there's a problem, and they didn't do anything. Yes. So... And the other thing about government as the gatekeeper here, I think, is infinitely more complicated than with big tobacco because 
People running for office need Facebook and Twitter to work in their favor. The most powerful people in our Congress right now are the social media stars. Right? You can't run for president if you have less than a million Twitter followers. You can't run for president if your search results aren't coming up. I mean, if you decide to take on these companies in a big way, imagine what happens to you behind the scenes at those companies that really impacts your ability to get your message out. So this is a very circular problem, and I think it does require greater regulation, but I also think that there is a role for individuals and communities to play here in stepping up and getting educated and demanding different things and rewarding our representatives in different ways for what they do, because otherwise, we're gonna be stuck in, in this mess for a long time, and I think we're gonna lose, I think our connection between what it is and what we feel will become even more tenuous. But we are happy with Elizabeth Warren and her proposal. I think this proposal is, is a good starting place for conversation. More than anything, I appreciate that we have a substantive piece of policy to talk about running into the 2020 We're getting really close to debates. So we needed something to talk about. Thank goodness. What's on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? Well, I'm still all in on Top Chef and Paducah Sarah. Mm -hmm. know she was a good chef I did I just I don't think I could dream big enough because now that she is in the final I'm like oh spoiler alert I don't even care um, if you haven't seen it Sarah's in the finale um, Paducah Sarah went all the way I'm so excited I'm so proud of her and I just feel like she I mean I don't, I'm sure she didn't have like a strategy mom but she did so good she just gradually proved she didn't pick too soon like that nini girl like i just feel like she's killing it i'm so excited and we just went to freight house and it was delicious that her chicken and waffles were fantastic so it was very redemptive i'm still angry about the way she was treated in rep arena i will never get over that and i'm very pleased that her chicken is fantastic and that adrian went home I'm very happy with Adrian. I'm sorry. Here's the other thing. I have, I am a very loyal Top Chef watcher. The local chefs usually don't make it very far. It's a huge deal that the, the hometown chef has gone to the finale. And I think, I'm just so proud that a Kentucky chef was able to roll into China and use these ingredients <laughs> that, I mean, look terrible to me, sorry. Like, um, and turn fruit. them. I mean, I knew that fruit. that fruit before I knew it was coming, but. And like she, the, the fact that, I, I think that the spice challenge, she really showed her chops. I was so proud when she was, was just amazing. nailing that spice challenge. So she was smelling them. Everybody else was tasting them. So smart to smell yeah, them. It was really great. So she's she's been very impressive. And I just, I've said this before. I don't watch cooking shows because I think it's torture. I don't want to watch a show where you cook food I cannot eat and talk about how delicious it is. <laughs> I don't understand the appeal of that at all. Um, and so, for those of you who don't know, I'm so sorry you don't live in Paducah because you can go to Freight House and taste the stuff she made for Top Chef. I literally let out a woohoo when the matzo ball soup was on the menu tonight. So exciting. Yeah. I also wanted to share that I saw Captain Marvel last night. I know, I'm really, I wanted, I tried to talk my kid into it, but he wanted to go see Lego Movie 2 with me because I had not seen it yet. I mean, that's fine. The Captain Marvel. <laughs> when you said you were going to the movies, I was like, please go see Captain Marvel so we can talk about it. I love superhero movies, as people who've listened to the podcast know, and I thought it was really fun. So I'll get my one criticism out of the way. I felt like it meandered in tone a little bit. I felt like there were moments when it was more Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of campy, fun, hilarious music, and moments when it was very like Captain America, and then moments when it was like full throttle feminism, and then it would kind of weave back through those things. But I really liked it, and I feel like it just has this interesting message as we were waiting for the second stinger. So listen, sit there forever, go through all the credits. Only Marvel can make us do this, right? But as we were waiting for the second stinger, Chad forwarded me an article from Wired about how this movie is not about female empowerment, it's about female power. I saw that headline, that was so good. And I think that distinction is right on with this movie. This movie was not, you go girl, you can be whatever you want to be. This movie was like, I will take it, right? Like what I really love about this character is her ability to actually absorb negative energy and convert it to raw power. It's really exciting to watch. It's something I've never seen before, you know? Green <laughs> Larson a little boring. Was she good? I liked her. I mean, I th look, it's not like you have to have a lot of depth to be a superhero. I know, but when they movie. are, when they're one note and they're a little flat, it's even worse when they take on a superhero movie. 
I think that I think she was I think she was good. I did not think she was great. But I don't think the character, I think she could overwhelm. The character is so powerful that I think if you had like a real star power actress in that role that it could be too much. So I think it was like a really good combination. I'm gonna get nasty email for saying that. I just <laughs> thought of a hundred ways that that's offensive to people. But I mean, I just think she was a really good, it was a good calibration because the whole movie, it's her origin story, right? So she doesn't understand what she is or why this has happened. And it, I think it works really nicely. Speaking of closing credits, you've seen Lego Movie too. I have. Did you know the closing credits are real Legos? That's no, not animation. That's awesome. All that barrel rolling. Has any, have y'all seen Lego Movie too? Oh my gosh! At the end, there's these giant Lego barrels where they're like rolling up Lego, like replications of the character. But they're real because Lego Movie is not real Lego. Spoiler alert. That's animation. <laughs> and so the end is real. It's really, really cool. And so we stayed through to watch that. And I, I mean, I thought Lego Movie Two was very cute. Mm -hmm. I'll still like the first one better. I thought there was too much like popping into the real world. I did not dig that. I like the first Lego Movie where you just think that's their world, and at the end you find out there's a little too much back and forth for me. I'm we'll see Captain Marvel just because. They had me at that female power headline, and it's super important to the next the Infinity War Infinity resolution. Wars, which whatever I it is. am still so mad about. I can barely articulate how quickly I need that happy. I went. I didn't know there were two, and so I went in a very stressful news environment, thinking I was going to a superhero movie, which was going to bring justice and peace. At the end like they always do, and every, spoiler alert, everybody dies, and then they're like, movie's over. And you're like, what the? It was awful. I'm still traumatized. So they better have one hell of a happy ending at this second one. So we're getting ready for that. When we leave Captain Marvel, and I looked at my husband in the car, and I said, I feel like I need... Because this is very, it's a very 90s movie, Captain Marvel, and there's lots of fun, like, 90s references, which makes it, I don't know, because of my age, it was really fun to watch, and I'm sure that was by design. But <laughs> I said to Chad, I need to watch these chronologically. Now, I need to All go back you? through, and that's what he said. He was like, do you? <laughs> we can arrange that. <laughs> but I do really. Yeah, there's like 15 packs. I know. I do really like them, though. I mean, I think it's a lot of fun. And it, and it was like, I do, I love that with Marvel, you really kind of step into that world really fast. It doesn't take itself too seriously. I love the nods to Stan Lee. It just, oh, it's really Stan great. Oh, Stan Lee. No, I'm yeah. so done with the Stan. I mean. Don't be done with Stan Lee. Y'all, come on. First of all, I think you're wrong. I'm not. <laughs> Listen, didn't he steal that? He stole some ideas. That's the first thing. And then took credit for them. And also, come on. At what point do we like, no, really, you have to be in every single movie? Oprah is on the cover of every magazine That's she's different. ever met. That <laughs> yeah, is different. It's called Oprah Magazine, not Batman Magazine. Not Stan Lee Universe. It's the Marvel Universe. And it's different. And Oprah never does anything wrong. <laughs> I love her. We set up, so I'm not, I'm not going to get into it, even though it's all I can talk about is leaving Neverland, because that would really kill the mood in the room. But at the end, Oprah does an interview with the end of this four-hour documentary, and Nicholas goes, do you really need to watch this? Why do you care what Oprah says? And I'm like, who have you been married to for almost 20 years? What do I care what Oprah? I always, always care what Oprah thinks about everything. I cannot believe you said that out loud. It was outrageous. Well. well. <laughs> I really appreciate them having us here. Thank yes, you, Susan. Thank you, so thank much. you Bobby. Um, love our public libraries. I think public libraries are a beautiful, important, essential civic institution that serve the community at all levels and all areas of our lives. Thank you guys for coming. This was really, really fun. We are going to hang out afterwards and sign books. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Good job. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise.
We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.